0: You're listening to an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company.
1: What's up, mob associates? Jimmy Naples here, Johnny Ciccatelli. We're back for another episode of Youngstown Mob Talk Live. We're here today in Crime Time USA, but we're in a different location. As you can see behind us, we got the Chauvin Podcast Studio up and running. We're here at Chauvin uh, Career Technical Center, and we're doing a live show from right here in Youngstown at
0: Chauvin. That's right. And you know, I was telling you before, I I really wish that we had these kind of capabilities uh, when I was in high school, you know, I went to Austin Town Fitch and there was the video class I was in, it was so old school, it was, we were editing, you know, VHS tapes to VHS tapes, so this is really uh, impressive stuff here at Shoff and I like it.
1: Yeah, we just got our TV studio, just got the lights reconfigured in there for uh, virtual set design, so we're uh, making moves and you know, uh, doing some stuff here. So very cool. got to get the community to come in here and check out what we got and hopefully bring some more people in to do some other podcasts.
0: Yeah, of course it's, it's right here in downtown Youngstown. So Crime Town USA for our purposes for Youngstown Mob Talk, you know, we appreciate, uh, and letting us use this place. And, you know, if you guys don't know, Jim is a professor, he's a teacher here at, um, at, at Chauvin. So, you know, thank you, Jim, for letting us shoot in your studio.
1: Absolutely. You know, we get uh, kids will do some editing for us and some uh, real-world experience, you know, doing some of the editing and production and things like that on these shows that we do. So that's another reason why we encourage the public to come in and uh, do some stuff here so that the kids can get some experiences.
0: Yeah, and, you know, real quick, guys, if uh, you're watching this right now on YouTube, don't forget you can also find us on every audio platform that's out there, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, iHeartRadio, any of those things you can find us on. Uh, we're, we're available everywhere. So please uh, do us a favor. Check out our shows, Youngstown Mob Talk and the Vice Squad Podcast, and give us a like and a review. It really helps people you know, find the show.
1: Absolutely. And if you need to get a hold of us, uh, you can reach us at Steel syndicate at gmail.com. That's right on your screen there. Uh, make sure you... Uh, You know, shoot us an email if you see something you like or you have uh, comments on a show or, you know, maybe you show something you want us to cover that we haven't covered yet. Uh, You know, shoot us a message.
0: And don't forget, we did a big event in November called Cav Bomb where we explored the 1962 Cavalero bombing with Charlie Cavalero Jr. and Cecil Moses, a retired FBI agent. We actually filmed that event, and it is available right now for a pay-per-view, you can you can download and watch it on ViewStub. That's V I E W S T U B dot slash CavBomb C A V B O M B. Check that out, guys. The reviews are in. People loved it. So um, if you didn't get a chance to go to the event at the Stan Auditorium in Youngstown, maybe you moved out of town, maybe you just had something else going on that night and you missed it and you really want to check it out, it is available right now for uh, for download on pay-per-view. So yeah. please check that out.
1: Hey, and, you know, it's it's uh, it's reasonably priced, too. You know, it's uh, less than half the cost of a ticket for the show.
0: Yeah. So, so it, and it, you know, people have asked, oh, is it just audio? No, we filmed the whole event. So, you know, that's almost two hours. I think it's an hour and 47 minutes long. Yeah. So it was a great night. It was a powerful night. It was a night I'll never forget. You know, out of all the things I've ever produced from... Youngstown Still Standing to Crooked City to all the stuff I did out in LA with Fox, this was really the most powerful thing. And one of the things I'm the most proudest of uh, of all was this Cav Bomb event. So please check that out and share it with your friends. Share it with anybody who might be interested in um, mob talk or, you know, true crime in general. This was one of the most shocking true crimes in history. Uh, It happened right here in Youngstown, Ohio. And when the, the level of access we got to it with the last living FBI agent, of course the sole survivor of the bombing, um, you know really something that I'm very proud we did. Yeah, it
1: was a uh, it was a fantastic night, um, one I'll never forget. Uh, even you know my dad came up to me after the show and he um, you know he's like, hey son, you know I'm proud of you. That was that was just awesome, you know he, it really touched him. So uh, you know to see the way that we do it. Um, You know, we understand that, you know, there's families involved and there's uh, loved ones who've been killed and, you know, whether they be innocent or whether they be, you know, involved in the activities, it's, you know, it's always tough to bring up because there's always relatives around. Uh, But I think the way that we've approached these subjects and approached these conversations, uh, I think we've given them respect, we've given it dignity, uh, and we've gone about it the right way. So I think that's one of the most important things that I took from that.
0: Yeah, and, you know, especially with your family's connection to that case and the involvement, bringing, you know, the Naples family in the room, bringing the Cavalero family in the room. We all broke bread together, had a nice great dinner beforehand. Yeah. You know, it was a it was a night I won't forget. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and we also have another Youngstown Mob Talk live event coming up um, here in February. Tell, tell the folks about the next show. Yeah, so
1: uh, February 9th, 2024. Robbins Theater, we have a master class with a master burglar, Emil Denzio. Uh, he's going to recount uh, the Laguna Nagal heist where they stole Nixon's money. Um, he's going to recount the uh, Lordstown bank that uh, they robbed, you know, shortly after the Laguna Niguel. Um It's going to be a night to you know to remember because we're going to get firsthand details from the man himself.
0: Yeah, a master class with a master burglar. Of course he did the that uh Richard Nixon's bank. They robbed his, all those safety deposit boxes back in the seventies. They did the Lordstown Bank, you know, that they robbed there. They those are the, the two that he'll be able to talk about. Um and there's a Q and A there. So if you want if you have questions, you can ask him anything you want. Um, Amel's, you know, an interesting character and he's he wrote that book inside the vault. This is his uh, you know, first time he's ever gonna do like a live show like this. Right. So check it out, guys. February 9th, robinstheater.com. That's in Warren, Ohio. You don't want to miss that one. Yeah. So uh,
1: let's get into this week's episode. So we're talking about a hitman for hire, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Most people previously thought he was, you know, a mob hitman. But the
0: research, of course, that we've done
1: shows that he was, uh, you know, had gun, will travel, so to speak.
0: Yeah. So... Today's subject is a guy named Robert Parks, also known as Bobby Parks. Um, He was, as you mentioned, a hitman for hire in the Youngstown area in the 60s and the 70s. And this guy was, I'll put it this way, a member of law enforcement once described him to us as, he said, when I was in a room with Bobby Parks, it was the closest I've ever been to the devil. Wow. Bobby Parks, um, he was suspected in, you know, a lot of murders. Bobby Parks was was a hired hitman in this area, and we've got new information on him, and that's why we wanted to talk about him today. We, you know, I've been doing an investigation myself into um, some pretty brutal murders from the 1970s in Canfield, Ohio, just outside of Youngstown. Um, There was a GM security guard, a General Motors security guard at the Lordstown plant outside of Youngstown, who came upon um, a, a drug operation. They were shipping drugs out of the plant back then in Lordstown at uh, in the 70s, and this was 1974. This FBI, or I'm sorry, this uh, this security guard, Benjamin Marsh, found these drugs. He found that all these other illegal activities kind of the mob had had big control of Lordstown back then. The unions were were corrupt, and that place was just a hub for a lot of criminal activities. There was 13,000 workers at that plant. Um, You know, they were fencing goods. There was prostitution. There was drugs moving out of there, also allegedly guns. Um, So Benjamin Marsh, he always wanted to be in the FBI, and this was kind of a chance for him to really become a detective, right? So he finds out that they're moving drugs, he brings it to his superior, and they begin an investigation. Well, he ends up going to testify before a grand jury in 1974, and that would be his downfall because the people responsible for this uh, this operation out of Youngstown, they hired a hitman to kill him, and that's where Bobby Parks comes in. So... Um, a hitman is hired to kill Marsh. They go to his house in Canfield. Uh, they brutally murder him while he's sleeping. And while it's happening, his wife and kids come home. So his wife, Marilyn, brings her four, the 4-year-old daughter, Heather, and an infant child named Christopher. They all came home, and the killer proceeds to shoot Marilyn, and then he beats the 4-year-old girl with the butt of the gun and kills her. Just heinous. Just um,
1: even think, you know, we got kids. Yeah, it's, think, thinking about that. Uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't imagine something like that. That's just just hearing it sounds brutal.
0: It is, it, and you know, I've seen the the crime scene photos, and it's it's hideous stuff. We won't show them here. Um, it's horrible. I, I don't wish anybody see those. That they're it's pretty bad. Luckily, they didn't touch the infant child. They didn't harm the infant child, but they left the child there alone in this crime scene to crawl around in, in the blood for hours and hours and hours until they were found. Um, but the killer then left, they took the, the wife's car, Marilyn Marsh's car, and they dropped it off in a different location. So this house in Canfield Township it was on uh, Turner Road, kind of out in the country a little bit, and, you know, a little remote. So whoever killed this person, they were brought there, right? right. Um, and they ended up taking the car and leaving. So those are the facts of the case. The case, um, Bobby Parks was a suspect almost immediately. He was the chief suspect in the initial investigation okay. um, from the sheriff's department, and it's kind of unique that the sheriff's department investigated the case with the General Motors Security Division. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was a little strange. It's
1: not quite uh, their jurisdiction.
0: Yeah, you know, I you wouldn't think that is, you know, especially by today's standards, right? Mm. Why would the the lawn, you know, the, the sheriff's department work with this corporation, you know? Um, well, the other
1: question too is, um, if it happened in Canfield, why didn't the Canfield police work on
0: it? Well, back then, the you know, it wasn't, it wasn't. Uh, this was Canfield Township, okay. So it wasn't the the Canfield City proper. Right. So this was the Mahoning County Sheriff's, you know, um, yeah, be their jurisdiction, their jurisdiction exactly. So, but it, it, the, the the detective who was investigating the case was a man named Ed Nemeth, oh, a and name, of course, name that most would know in the valley. He would go on to become a sheriff himself and later be implicated for taking mob money, mafia money. But at the time, he was just a you know detective for the the sheriff's department, and he actually ran a pretty strong investigation. Um, Bobby Parks was the lead suspect. and you know he did a, a lot of stuff and we've detailed this, by the way. please go back and, and watch and listen to our previous episode on the marsh murders that we did with Gary Bonnell, an author who wrote a book called Truth Not Deception. So we talk about all of the the Marsh killings, right? So today's episode I wanted to get into Bobby Parks because Bobby Parks was never charged for that crime. He was a suspect, but he was never charged. So let's talk about Bobby Parks real quick. Um, in the '60s and the '70s, as I mentioned, he was he was a you know known as a killer. Um, he had a Sunoco gas station, um, I believe it was off Rayon Avenue, and he originally the first killing that they have on paper for him was a guy named Lloyd McCullough, okay. who he killed in 1967. He shot him uh, at that Sunoco station and it was over an argument over a car generator, Wow! right? So, you know, an angry customer kind of thing, and Bobby Parks shot and killed the guy. Jeez. Now, he was sentenced to, I believe, between, um, you know, 1 to 20 years, and so the guy had some connections because he only served one year. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, he, too, we, I think we've kind of seen, too, in the past when we look at, uh, you know, some of these guys that are associated to organized crime, they get caught up in something that's uh, a little larger that you would assume they would get more time for. Yeah, you know, there's... Uh, a little less than what you would think or a lot less than what you would think.
0: You know, he probably knew, he probably had some information that was valuable right. to help somebody pull some strings and get him, a, you know, a short term there in prison. But whatever the case, he, he only served, a, you know, a year in jail or prison and got out. Um, and picked up his ways. Now, interesting to know, Bobby Parks would have a— he had a business card that said, Have Gun, Will Travel. Interesting. Yeah, and it was—you know, there, there was an old Western um, that was the name of the show. It was called Have Gun, Will Travel from the 50s and, and early 60s, and it ran for like five or six seasons on TV. It was about an old gunslinger named Paladin, and he had a business card. It said, have gun, will travel. That was the whole thing. And you could hire him out, and he would go do, you know, whatever he was hired to do. So Bobby Parks must have been a fan of this show because he literally had a business card. He emulated that and was would brag about it, would tell people all about it. So, you know, he, and he would travel. You know, the FBI followed him to California yep. and other spots on the West Coast when they were – Um, tailing him to try to catch him in the act of pulling off a hit.
1: And he was suspected of a few killings out that way, wasn't he?
0: Yes, yeah. So, you know, he was a dangerous guy, and just, you know, from all accounts, we've talked to people who have, a lot of people who've talked to him and uh, victims, actually family members of victims of people that he's killed, and he was a sociopath. He would try to manipulate these people and try to spin things and tell them, oh... You know, I was trying to find out who killed your father and all these things like, you know, just really... Playing mind games. Oh, playing mind games for sure. So he was that kind of a guy um, and a real abuser too. He had, um, you know, his second wife, Elizabeth Parks, she would end up going to testify against him um, and send him away to prison for life in another case. And she talked all about how he beat her and threatened her and just real jealous and, you know, crazy... uh, you know, crazy person, just horrible human being. You know, so, anyways, we'll get to that here next. So, he's killed a few people and and probably more than a few. By the seventies, he ends up getting that uh, what we believe he got the hit, the the contract to kill Marsh. Okay. So, later on, that was nineteen seventy four. Um, in seventy five, he killed a guy named Walter Packner, who okay. was a night watchman for Wells Fargo and a friend of his. He was actually, they, they, there's thoughts that he might've, that Packner might've been the driver who took him to the Marsh house. Okay. So, um, one of his, one of their associates a guy who worked with parks at the, at the Sunoco station, a guy named William Spann, he would end up going on to become an ATF informant years later. And he told them that, uh, he was with Parks when Packner came over, and they went for a ride, and at some point uh, Parks pulled a gun on Packner, made him pull over somewhere in Portage County, Ohio. They got out. Span says he stayed in the car. Uh, Parks walked out to the woods with Packner. A few gunshots later, Pack, uh, well, Parks came back in the car, and they left. And we know that Packner was found murdered in Portage County, shot to death. And um, he was eventually, you know, they, they eventually charged Parks with that over a decade later when Sp- when Span uh, became an informant. So, you know, that was another killing.
1: What's, what's interesting about that with the Span uh, killing? He was shot in the chest with a shotgun, right? Packner or Packner, excuse me.
0: Yeah, so he had three three shots to the head with a thirty eight uh, um, caliber revolver, and they had one, he had one shotgun wound in the chest. Now Span says that, you know, he heard a couple shots, and that was he pulled a gun on him. Heard a couple shots. Well, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe he was holding the shotgun too. Maybe Span was holding the that shotgun. That's
1: what I'm. I mean, that's what I'm thinking because, I mean, we know Parks' his favorite weapons, the thirty eight, right? Yeah. Um, to me, it sounds like, you know, uh, Span shoots Packner with the shotgun. And then Parks goes over and puts three in his head to finish it off. And you know, sure he's
0: dead. That I don't know. Right. I, I, I kind of, there's there's theories and there's other things, but I try right. to stick with what we know, what we know for right. fact, right? So moving on, um, a couple years later, 1977, I believe, um, he ends up, Bobby Parks gets a con, another contract to kill uh, a doctor, a local doctor, okay. a guy named Leo de Blasio. Okay. De Blasio divorced his wife, and she then hired Bobby Parks to kill him and his new wife, who, was, who worked with him in his practice. Well, the person who was the conduit for this, that, that okay. helped connect them, was a woman who worked at the Stardust Motel. Does that sound familiar to you?
1: Yeah, that would be uh, Lenny Strollo.
0: Yeah, Lenny Strollo had a motel um, on Market Street, up there uh, right near Cala Road and, and actually right next door to the Calamar, which was owned by Briar Hill Jimmy Prado. Yeah. And this motel is also allegedly where Charlie Carabia got killed and whacked. Yeah. Was at that motel. So... If you uh,
1: if you drive out to Market Street now, I believe it's called the OYO, O-Y-O Motel.
0: There you go. So anyways, this woman who worked there, she was the, the, the manager at that at the Lenny Strolo's Stardust Motel. She connected the bitter ex-wife with Bobby Parks, and, you know, then he got the contract to, to kill de Blasio. Well, he messed it up. He actually shot de Blasio, wounded him, didn't kill him. Uh, he did kill de Blasio's wife, Patricia, okay. uh, his new wife, and also a nurse that worked there. And, and de Blasio was from Canfield, but he had a practice. He was an osteopath, and he had a practice in Girard. So that's where that killing, those killings occurred, were in Girard. Um, De Blasio got lucky and lived. But eventually Bobby Parks went on trial for that, and the, the, uh, De Blasio's ex-wife also went on trial. But it was the testimony of Bobby Parks' second wife, okay. Elizabeth Parks. It was her testimony that put Bobby Parks away for life. She talked about not only was he abusive and did he beat her, but he openly talked about his killings. And at one point, she became fearful that he was going to kill her. So she ended up testifying and went into witness protection. She knew about this de Blasio killings and all the details. So um, the jury found him guilty. He was sentenced to two life terms in prison. And uh, he ended up dying in prison. But that kind of wasn't the end of his story, to be honest. Um, years go by, and that Marsh case is still unsolved. Okay, Well, they ended up charging a guy in 2013 and trying him named James Ferrara, who was already in prison um, serving a life sentence for another crime. He used to work at GM Lordstown uh, back in the 70s. He was never considered a suspect in the Marsh case before, but law enforcement, uh, the Mahoney County Sheriff, said that they found fingerprints that matched his fingerprints at the original Marsh scene uh, outside the house. Nothing inside the house. It was only outside the house. Mm-hmm. So he ends up getting charged and, and convicted eventually for killing the Marsh family. So Parks meets Ferrara in prison, right? Yeah, he actually according to Ferrara, one day after he got brought back from the from the trial in Mahone County, he went back to Marion Correctional. And a guy came up to him and said, hey, my cellmate wants to meet you. Come meet my cellie." He says he goes and meets him, and there's this guy in a wheelchair, this older guy in a wheelchair, and it's Bobby Parks. And they kind of struck up a friendship because Parks is telling him, oh, you're from Youngstown, I'm from Youngstown. You, you know, I did a little work. I worked at GM a little bit. Did you know Al Ali? Al Ali was the big union head. Right. And, of course, everybody knew him at Lordstown. Uh, Bobby Parks was his the best man in his wedding. So you know there's there's a lot of uh connections between these guys, and eventually he tells Ferrara that you know, oh well, if I knew that uh, you were going to get charged for that case, I would have just admitted to it. And that's what he said to Ferrara. Now I don't think he would have ever uh, actually admitted to it because sure. what we know about Bobby Parks is he's a- you know serial manipulator, right He's a serial killer, he's a hired hitman hired gun, and he kind of lied and would say anything to anybody to kind of get them on their... On their side, and you know, so he kind of made friends with Ferrara, which is kind of a sick kind of twist to all this,
1: right? And so, so Ferrara gets convicted of the Marsh killings, right? Mm-hmm. What evidence do they use to convict him?
0: It's you know, interesting question. The only physical evidence that they used in the trial was a fingerprint that they said they pulled from the outside garage door, which was broken into right. by the killer um, they said they found a fingerprint of Ferrara's on that door. They also found about nine other prints, nine other people's prints throughout all this evidence. They found nothing inside the house that connected Ferrara to it, even though there was cigarette butts in the house um, and other, you know, uh, fingerprints and other things that were in the house. Uh, None of it was connected to Ferrara. None of it ever traced back to Ferrara. They said they had boot prints, You know, they never proved that it showed that it was Ferrara's shoes or anything like that. The only thing, the only physical evidence they used in the trial was that fingerprint.
1: That's, I mean, that's like
0: thin, thin paper, thin. It it is, especially now when, you know, even in just this last month, there's been so many news articles have come out with um, new technology where they're saying that Guess what? Fingerprints aren't as unique as they thought they were. Right. So you know it's all it's all kind of coming out and changing these days. You'd never be able to get a conviction with just one fingerprint. It's it's very hard. You know most prosecutors be like, we need more evidence than right. that. Yeah, so absolutely. there was um, that was the main the only physical evidence that they used in the entire thing was a fingerprint on the outside of the house. But I'll tell you this, in our investigation, um. You know, I've recently uncovered new evidence in the Marsh case. Yeah. This is kind of a, an, ex, an exclusive here. Um, I had reached out and and was trying to find out more information about a an organized crime task force that was created in Ohio right. after the nineteen nineties. After Lenny Strollo's regime was prosecuted in Youngstown and Mahoning County, there was over seventy people that that got. You know, indicted and went down on this whole case. Um, government officials, judges, lawyers, every you know, all these people right. in Youngstown. So there was an outside task force that was created, and it comp- it was comprised of detectives from Akron and Copley, outside of Mahoning and Trumbull counties. They didn't trust anybody.
1: Right, because it's still at this point, you don't know who's uh, you know who was on the take and yeah, it was. That didn't get caught up in the Lenny Strollo.
0: Yeah, and there were and there were plenty of you know Youngstown cops who were you know suspects on things that so they didn't they didn't trust anybody for um, within Mahoney and Trumbull counties to uh, to be part of this task force, but this task force was charged. They they were given the order of solving unsolved mob murders. Okay, and one of the chief ones they were looking into was the murder of a guy named uh, Rob Talbert in nineteen seventy four. Uh, this is where it gets real interesting. Rob Talbert was a fence, okay? He, would, uh, he owned a gas station on Market Street. He would fence items um, that would come from different burglary crews. One of the crews was um, Tony Bruno's crew, mafia associate here in, in town with some other guys. And eventually, Rob Talbert became an informant yeah. and was uh, informing the ATF there was stolen guns involved, all kinds of stuff. So, he becomes an informant and testifies before a grand jury in 1974. Sound familiar? So, he actually gets killed, um, and you know, Bobby Parks was friends with Talbert. Parks worked for uh, when he got out of prison, he went to work for Talbert at his gas station. And you know, these guys were close. Yeah. Well, Talbert was also close with the burglary crews and the mob guys, and, you know, I'm sorry, uh, Parks was also close with the, the burglary crews and the mob guys and all these other people. Parks ends up taking out Talbert. And he and his brother, uh, Bobby Parks, and his brother Paul Parks are, um, you know, widely believed to have killed Rob Talbert. Um, again, spans testimony you know his inf- um, another guy named Eddie Ferris, yeah. who was a aso- big associate of the Parks brothers, um, is a suspect in other murders himself. And, uh, and the uh,
1: if I if I believe correctly, the uh, the information that we we've gotten on on Talbert's murder was pretty gruesome, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, he was he was taken out. You know, much like Pachter. they took. When I say they, I'm talking about Bobby Parks and his brother Paul Parks with Eddie Ferris in the car. They took Talbert out to the woods in Boardman, uh, actually over uh, off McClurg, yep. and same thing, brought him out to the woods and shot him and killed him, and left him for dead. Brutally killed this guy. And then later, Parks was, uh, according to other informants, he would brag, he was bragging about it at like the Tropics nightclub. And he would say to these guys who wanted Talbert dead, Oh, I, I took care of your problem for you, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe he was also worried he was informing on him, on right, Parks. Right. But Parks was, uh, according to this task force, they did a great investigation. Um, Detective Frank Martucci, Detective Dave Moore, these guys did a great investigation into this case, and they believe they solved it, that it was Bobby Parks and his brother Paul Parks and Eddie Ferris that killed Rob Talbert. For whatever reason, the Mahoning County Prosecutor's Office refused to, to take it to court. Maybe they thought they didn't have good enough case or whatever it was just never prosecuted so that case um almost makes you wonder if they maybe if they
1: weren't trying to put all the mob stuff behind them and just said look we
0: just no they weren't because there was another case from that task force okay. that got that did go did, to, did go to trial. trial it was sam Fisesca and the killing of joe de rose okay that was the task force that solved that case as well okay same investigators same de- same detectives but For whatever reason, this Talbert case was never solved, and it's unfortunate because, officially, I should say, because Talbert's sons, you know, um, Rob Jr. and and Dave Talbert, have been investigating their father's death for decades. Decades. Um, Dave ended up becoming a police officer himself with Salem, the Salem Police Department, which is a suburb here of Youngstown, and he actually just retired recently. Um, But he had been, you know, when I, when I, I talked about, family members of victims being manipulated by Parks. Right. Parks tried to manipulate him. When he was looking for answers about his dad, Parks was trying to manipulate Dave and tell him, you know, give him misinformation and tell him how great of friends they were and that, you know, all this stuff, and where he almost was trying to treat him like a father. Right. And, uh, and just real sick, you know. So anyways... This task force believes that he killed Talbert. Okay. Well, Benjamin Marsh allegedly was gonna was testifying at that same grand jury that Talbert was killed in, or or was testifying in. So the connections are right there. Right. We talked about how Bobby Parks was the number one suspect in the in the Marsh killing. Right. Ed Nemeth, the detective for the sheriff's office. They actually, he and the, uh, the guy in charge of the security at GM, Wayne McIntosh, they devised a plan to try to catch these guys where they created a fake file, okay. a dummy file on the Marsh case that said we have a witness, somebody who's, um, who knows who did this and is testifying, or he's going he's gonna to say who did it. So they create this file, and they get a tip, that the is going to get stolen. You know, you better watch your files. I hear somebody's going to steal them. So they put it in this Macintosh guy's car, and his car is on the lot at GM, GM Lordstown. Sure enough, his car gets broken into. That dummy file gets stolen. Well, the dummy file said that they had a witness, and he was staying at a hotel, this Penn, Ohio hotel, and that he was under this name, and... That he would be there until they needed them for the trial or whatever. Right. So now that the file gets stolen, the, the dummy file, Nemeth knows that, okay, we've got something here. We can do a sting operation. Right. So Ed Nemeth goes to this hotel and pretends to be the witness, and he stays there for about three nights. And on the third night, there's a call at the, at the, at the room, and he picks it up, and there's somebody breathing heavily, and he, they say something like, don't go anywhere. Well, sure enough, the room is being watched, right, by detectives. There's a knock at the door, and when he opens the door, there's three guys standing there, Bobby Parks, his brother Paul Parks, and Eddie Ferris. They're quickly arrested. They're brought in for questioning. They don't say anything. They, they, the cops want to do a polygraph, all this stuff. And all of a sudden, a big high-priced lawyer shows up, uh, a guy of a very prominent name, uh, named Carmen Policy, name and, we've heard before, and um, yeah, Carmen Policy was at that time big criminal defense lawyer in Youngstown. He actually represented your, yeah, he your, re- your uh, uncle
1: represented Joey and
0: uh, Joey Naples. Yeah, yeah
1: wasn't, it, uh, in, wasn't it Policy and wasn't it Policy and Flask that had the office together?
0: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Eddie, Fl- yeah, Flask, who would go on to get busted in corruption in the '90s as well. Yeah. But policy, this was before he became the the president of the Cleveland Browns and the 49ers later and became a very successful NFL executive. Uh, He was still a defense lawyer. And he comes and gets these three guys out of custody, says, what are you you doing? You're not charging these guys? Get them out. So they left, and charges were never filed. And it's interesting because in Ed Nemeth's report, we have his whole investigation, we have his reports. In his report, he says that the three guys at the door were unarmed. And that was one of the reasons they let him go. They didn't have anything to hold him for.
1: Right.
0: Dave Talbert found Ed Nemeth. I'm sorry, not Dave. His brother, Rob Talbert, found Ed Nemeth and asked him about this case. Okay. And according to Talbert, Nemeth told him when he opened that door, Bobby Parks, Paul Parks, Eddie Ferris, that Bobby Parks had a had a trench coat on and had a sawed-off shotgun underneath that trench coat. Wow. But it was never in his report. So maybe they got to Nemeth back then. To make it even stranger, Nemeth later resigns from the sheriff's department and goes and works. So does Macintosh. leaves GM Lordstown, and they both go down south and get a job working at another GM plant together. Right. And then they come when Nemeth comes back, he ends up becoming sheriff, and later gets implicated for taking mafia money. So it is it is insane the kind of you know deep corrupt ties to this case. But I want to get back to it that we have this new evidence, new evidence in this task force. They went to California, these detectives, and they interviewed Liz Parks. Okay, She was in witness protection. She tells them all about her husband, how horrible he was, killer, all this stuff. Right. And they ask did he ever talk about any other murders with you? Did you ever hear him talk about any other murders? And she says, yeah, there was one that he talked about where he was hired to kill a guy because of his job, something to do with the the man's job. That's all she knew. But then when he killed him, the guy's family came home, and he shot the wife, and there was a little girl. And according to Bobby, he didn't want to kill the little girl, but he did. He he beat her with the butt of a gun, and she knew the details. Now these cops doing this investigation, they're there to cert, solve the Talbert murder. They don't really the Marsh murders was not on their list. Right. So, and they're not from the the area, so they don't know this this case and the details. They don't know enough to follow up on this. The only question they asked her as a follow up was, what year was that that he that you heard this and she said well that would have been 1976 that i heard him talking about that that case happened in 1974 and if you go back and look we couldn't find any other case that matched those details in that era besides the marsh case wow so that's, we that that's you know
1: that, that kind of blows the lid off of everything
0: right so we know it was bobby parks that did this it was bobby parks that was in that house that killed Ben Marsh, that killed Marilyn Marsh, that killed Heather Marsh. Right. Now, again, we fast forward all these years later and you got a guy in prison right now named James Ferrara, who was convicted of killing those three people.
1: You got the wrong guy. I didn't do that. There wasn't enough evidence to prove I did it. Couldn't have been, I didn't do it.
0: It's interesting because that evidence Ferrara didn't have that evidence. His defense didn't have that evidence. Right. You know, I don't even know if the sheriff's department had it at that time, or they knew they had it. Right. But I have brought it to them now, the sheriff's department. I've given, you know, I've said you need to look at this, you guys, this task force. Right. I was told they do have it. They have the tape. They have the actual tape that was recorded with her. Okay. They've got definitely got the transcripts. Um, is it enough? Is you know. Who's gonna Who's gonna reopen this case? Who's gonna reopen the Ferrara case? I mean, somebody needs to because, I mean, first off, you convict a guy
1: of a single fingerprint off of an outside door, right? I mean, for all we know, maybe he was a, maybe he was the one that went and scouted the
0: place out, you know, weeks prior. You know, he says he's never been to that house, but I can't. Yeah, we you know exactly can't prove or disprove that, right? And we've talked to other people that
1: there's ways to kind of transfer fingerprints from here to there right there's there's ways a to piece do of that.
0: tape is all you need right right so it's, it's, the, it's yeah. not
1: far-fetched to think with you know with all the involvement in organized crime and their involvement in GM and the whole you know this
0: whole marsh thing it's I mean it's flimsy man so I'm I want to specify here and really tell you because I know how it sounds that I'm not apt at jumping to conclusions. Try to keep an open mind, right? People are in prison. This guy's killed people in the past. Right. You're not saying he's a good he's he's a good human being or great guy or anything like right. that.
1: But but he did he did I mean he admitted what he did before in the past.
0: He did. He and, went and, when Yeah when he w- when he was caught so Ferraro went to prison uh, originally because he and a few two other guys um, went down to Columbus, Ohio to rob two drug dealers. Right. And they went in to, you know, these guys had a lot of cocaine, they were gonna go rob them. Um, Ferrara brought a gun. Right. He went in, uh, according to all three of them, as soon as they started to, ro- you know, pulled the gun out and started the robbery, these guys fought back, um, it got kinda hairy, and Ferrara shot his way out. Right. Those were his words, I shot my way out. He admitted it, they were quickly caught, He ple- they all pleaded guilty, he admitted to what happened, he was sentenced to uh, life in prison with the possibility of parole after 20 years. Right. Well, 20 years later, he's on trial now for killing the Marsh family. So, you know, it's—those it's, it's uh, those are the facts of the case. Like we said, can we, you know—do we know if he was outside that house, if he put, if he put his fingerprints on? No, we don't. we don't. Was he inside the house? No, he was not. There's no evidence that shows he was inside the house and now like I said if Liz Parks' words were strong enough to convict Bobby Parks and send him to life for prison then why wouldn't you believe her now when she's telling you this all these years later in witness protection. And two, I mean you know you look at this Ferrara case and so you have the one
1: fingerprint that they are saying is his. There's no evidence of him being inside, right? Now you have the wife's saying that you know Bobby Parks talked about you know this case, and we see it matches the Marsh case, right? How does that not give reasonable doubt to anybody with common sense that you know? Well, look, I, I, all I'm saying there's is there's enough doubt there to say we don't we we don't think he did it. We can't say for sure whether he did or didn't, but there's enough reasonable doubt that you couldn't convict somebody. You yeah, well, I mean?
0: so so now here's the thing. So it's Now they have the information, whether they had it in 2013 or they knew that they had it. I don't know. I can't say. But now they have it. Right. So now, you know, I'm not a lawyer. Um, We've been looking, you know, talking with lawyers and uh, different law programs and and wrongful conviction clinics and things like that to see what are the options that Ferrara has. Now, I'll say this. I, I wanted to talk to Ferrara about this talk to him on the phone, but it's one thing to talk on the phone, it's another to talk in person. So I went down to Marion Correctional Prison, and they let me bring a camera inside the prison, and I filmed an interview with him, and that'll be our next follow-up to this video. I show him the evidence. I let him read her statements, and uh, I got his reaction. So you're going to want to tune into that for the next part of our investigation into the Marsh killings. Um, But for now... You know, Bobby Parks, he ended up dying in 2010 in prison. Um, Was never convicted of the Marsh killings. You know, I actually did a FOIA request with the FBI. FOIA is a Freedom of Information Act. Um, I did that with the FBI to get his file, to get Parks' files. Because we know that when Parks was in prison, he actually did a request himself to see what the FBI knew about him and had on him. And from those files that, that... you know, we have some of those files that he, that the FBI followed him to the West Coast, you know, thinking he w- was going to kill some people. Right. Well, when I filed just recently to see his files, I got a letter back from the FBI saying they've either been destroyed or or, or they're missing. Wow. So now, okay, what happened to those files?
1: Right.
0: Strange. It's very strange. Yeah. But, you know, that I hear that's not uncommon that they destroy files after a certain time, but it is. it is, you know... A little fishy. Yeah. But here we are, um, again, trying to just decipher these things. And this all came about from when I got my hands on these organized crime task force files. Yeah. Hundreds of, of files. I'm going through, going through, going through. It took me a long time to get through a lot of it. And when I saw her, Liz Parks's, you know, statement, right, and that one little line, those two lines stood out knew it. Yeah. I said, that's the Marsh case. From what everything I know on these cases, that's the Marsh case. Right. And that's when it hit me. We have new evidence. Yeah. This could possibly show that this guy did not kill these three people. Right. That Bobby Parks did. And we got a guy that should have been out of prison, you know, over 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, he could have been. He, he could, have, could have been could paroled. Have been, could have been paroled. You know, I don't, I'm not saying that he would have been or that he will be or anything like that. but. Right he had the possibility right. to be paroled. But now this this other case removed that possibility. For him. sure, for sure and he's he's branded a child killer, yeah. which is something you know that he, you know, really resents. Right. And um, it's interesting. So please follow along with us guys as we continue this investigation. Um, if you have any questions or or suggestions or anything like that, send us an email at steelvalley syndicate uh at @gmail.com. And you know, we just hope that yeah, there's something happens with this, right? When We didn't set out to to try to turn around any case or anything. We just, this just happened to be we found new evidence, yeah. something that the defense didn't have. He didn't have that, this in his trial. Um, and if he's wrongly convicted, then, you know, we want to see that through. We want to see uh, a new trial at the very least. Right. You know, let, let him be judged with the evidence that's at hand. Exactly. And we've also got recently... Um, we put in, you know, requests for fingerprints, trying to find those the, the actual fingerprint cards on there. Right. We'll talk about that in a follow-up episode. Um, but some fingerprints actually just came in. We have, you know, all that stuff. We've got uh, to get a legal opinion on all that. So Yeah, well, uh, maybe we'll bring some, uh,
1: you know, some maybe we'll find an attorney to come on and talk with us about it. Yeah. so Maybe somebody in law enforcement or something like that.
0: Absolutely, and, you know, we have a private investigator we'll talk to as well. but. Uh, definitely want to tune in to the next episode um, that we bring the, the follow up that we do here on uh, this this investigation because we're going to show you the interview that I did with James Ferrara in the Marion Correctional Prison. You know, I, I don't know anybody personally that they let bring a camera in, so the, for me it was a first. Yeah. And um, you know,
1: let me congratulate you
0: on that. Well, thank you, but it's you know nothing that I care that much about. It's I just wanted to go and and get it, you know, recorded. I, I didn't care if it was an audio or what, right, but when, right. when they said, you got to bring the camera, I said, great. At least people at home, you'll be able to see this guy and judge him, you know, for yourself. So uh, stay tuned for that in The next on the next Mob Talk.
1: Yeah, and so for
0: Johnny Ciccatelli, I'm Jimmy Naples.
1: Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Don't miss it. Ciao.
0: That was an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company. To watch with video, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com amazingpodcastcompany. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a review. It goes a long way in helping other people find our amazing content.